Billy said, my name is Kristen. I have the privilege of serving on the kids' ministry team, and my husband and I help lead a community group here at Reality. Today's scripture passage is from Proverbs chapter 14, verses 26 to 30. In addition, I will read a variety of related passages from Proverbs, and they will all be on the screen for you to follow. Whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for their children it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. A large population is a king's glory, but without subjects a prince is ruined. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. All the days of the afflicted are evil, but the cheerful of heart has a continual feast. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. This is God's word. Thank you, Kristen. Last week, we saw what Proverbs had to say about the heart, and if you couldn't tell already, we're looking at what the book of Proverbs has to say about emotions. And the answer is a lot. Let's pray together and invite God to speak into the emotional aspect of our lives and give us understanding. Pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask now that as we open your word, you would open our hearts. Thank you that you care about the things that concern us. You're aware of and concerned with all that goes on in our hearts, with all of our emotions. And God, we're asking today that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would guide us in understanding our emotions, what we should do with them, what we should not do with them. Would you teach us today? We pray that you would guide us into the good news of the gospel that makes maturity in this area and freedom and healing possible. And for anyone who does not yet know you, we pray that today they would know and understand all that you've done for us in Jesus Christ and that today they would believe. We ask this together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, I remember a classic a comic strip showed an imaginary editor looking over the manuscript of A Tale of Two Cities, saying, well, which is it, Mr. Charles Dickens? Either it was the best of times or it was the worst of times, but it cannot be both. But of course, if you have any experience with emotions, 
you know that it is absolutely possible to feel competing and contradictory emotions at the same time. Let's be honest. We experience that personally. And so it may not come as a surprise that Americans are among the most stressed out people in the world, reporting the highest rate of negative emotions in 10 years, according to the Smithsonian Magazine. But it's not all bad news. At the same time, in the same report, Americans also reported generally more positive experiences than the rest of the world. <laughs> Confusing? Yes. And so are you, and so am I. I think all of us feel that same tension personally. We have a complicated relationship with our emotions. So what do we do? How do we respond to our emotions? I suppose there's generally one of two responses. On the one hand, do we suppress our emotions? Some of you are like, yes. <laughs> For some of us, that's our coping me mechanism. I see a few nodding heads. <laughs> we ignore our feelings. A stiff upper lip, as they would say in, in Britain, would serve us well at times. Whenever there's a, a creeping sense of emotion, you just kind of bury it and you get on with your life. Is that how we should respond? Is that what we should do? Some people think that that's what's taught in Christianity as if it's some kind of modern stoicism. Just bury it. Shall we suppress our emotions? But there's also another option, another question that some of us have when it comes to our interior life. Shall we serve our emotions. Some of us here today, we obey our feelings. Far from ignoring them, we actually obey them. And our emotions can even act as our primary source for our decision making. Well, if I'm angry, I should lash out. If I'm depressed, I should completely withdraw. But the gospel shows us a third way. We should neither suppress our emotions, nor should we serve our emotions. But rather, God enables us to steward our emotions. This is exactly the direction that the book of Proverbs leads us. God makes it possible for you and I to steward our emotions. And friends, that is good news. It means we don't have to eat our way through a gallon of ice cream to get out of that funk. It means we don't have to abuse wine in order to drown our sorrows. It means we don't have to binge watch on Netflix in order to tune out our stress. It means we don't have to splash our emotions all over social media. Come on. <laughs> we also don't need to splash them all over our families, our spouses, our children. Instead, Proverbs reveals several truths that help us to steward our emotions. There are several truths that we see here in Proverbs, but are also echoed throughout the rest of the Bible, will not only help us how to understand our emotions, but what we are to do with our emotions. Three important truths that will help us gain emotional wisdom. And the first truth might be a little surprising. What the Bible teaches is emotions are a gift. Some of you are like, 
can I have the receipt? Because <laughs> I want to return them. <laughs> my middle daughter, when she was younger, she used to be very much into crafts, making things out of paper and tape, and one of the worst crafting, craft ingredients of all, glitter. <laughs> glitter is horrible. It never leaves, ever. And so one day, back when we were living in London, I came into the room and I just saw a mess everywhere. I'm like, this is a mess. Just paper and glue and glitter, just a horrible combination. I was like, it needs to get put away. And my daughter, the very sad look on her face, turned and said to me, but dad, I was making you a card for Father's Day. <laughs> Which also makes me the worst parent ever. <laughs> But I suppose that's a picture of how many of us view our emotions. It's a complicated mess. And yet within it, there's actually a gift. Emotions are a gift. The Bible never tells us to eliminate our emotion, but to understand our emotions. Throughout the Bible, you will find the whole range of human emotions and proverbs written by the great King Solomon is no exception. The book of, of Proverbs, the word Proverbs, we learned in Hebrew, means contrasts. It's one of the ways that this book teaches us wisdom is through contrast. And so one of the ways it teaches us about emotions is by contrasting them and their effects. Proverbs chapter 14 gives us one of these examples in verse 30. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. What a clear picture of how emotions can affect us on a daily basis. But the answer is not to eliminate them. They are a gift. God created us to feel. God created us to experience emotion. We could go further and say, God is emotional. God describes himself in the Bible with emotional language. So why wouldn't we? As I said, we see this throughout Proverbs. We see it in the book of Psalms, 150 chapters full of emotion and everywhere else. Look even at Jesus, the Son of God. If some of us think that Christianity is basically about being a stoic and just being like a robot then Jesus, if that's true, then Jesus totally failed. Because when you look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you'll notice emotions all over the place. He grieved over sin. Jesus rejoiced over what was good. He was angry at unbelief, delighted at faith. He felt sorrow over death, and he was moved with compassion towards those who were suffering. Jesus does not come into our lives to renew, remove our emotions, but rather to renew our emotions. We need to be clear. When you choose to follow Jesus as your Savior and seek to continue to follow him throughout your life, he doesn't remove your emotions as if you were to be some kind of robot. He renews your emotions. Emotions are a gift. Emotions connect our internal world to our external world. 
You could say that they are our first response to what's happening around us, in the world, in the room. In the same way that our nerves detect pain and our taste buds detect sweetness or or saltiness, our emotions connect to our soul. In fact, one way to actually appreciate emotion is to imagine life without them. No sorrow when you receive bad news about a family member who's unwell. No sense of relief when you receive good news from the doctor that all is clear. No pleasure when you walk through a beautiful part of the world. No joy when you're having a good meal with one another. Wouldn't that be lame? You just go out to eat today and you're like, the food is good. Who shall pay the bill? Shall we split? Yes. That's lame. You're like, oh, this is so good. Or some of you are super picky. This is so bad. (laughs) Emotions are a part of eating. (laughs) Feelings connect us with our external life. In that sense, in the way that the Bible explains it, everyone is emotional, regardless of the stereotypes. Men are emotional. Just go to a sporting event. You will see them on full display. (laughs) Namely, anger. (laughs) Men are emotional. Women are emotional. The young, the old are emotional. We just all feel and express emotions in different ways. But it's important to understand what kind of gift emotions are. Let's use a simple analogy. Our emotions are like a gauge on your car dashboard, alerting you to something that is going on underneath the hood. They're like a gauge. They're like that little orange light that goes on and you shouldn't ignore it. Am I right? Some of you are like, oh, what's that strange amber light glowing from my dashboard? Well, it's calling your attention to something. Emotions are a gauge, but they are not a guide. So when I'm driving my car and that little orange light of oil comes on, that's not telling me to turn left. It's alerting me that something needs attention under the hood. It's a gauge. But our emotions are not a guide. And the difference is important. The light is telling me something is going on, but it doesn't tell me which direction to go. So emotions are a gauge. They're telling me that there's something I need to be aware of that's going on inside my soul, inside my heart. Emotions are a gift, and they're meant to work in harmony with our minds and with our will. But, like every other gift in this created world, this gift is tainted by sin. The Bible defines sin as rebellion against God, which results in disconnection from God. And as a result, everything in this life, though originally created as good, is now out of order. Our design is distorted, including our emotions. So at times we overfeel or we, we underfeel, and it's why at times our emotions can go into overdrive and, and actually wreck our bodies. That's why the book of Proverbs draws so much attention between the emotions we feel internally to how our bodies are doing externally. There's an incredible book uh, on this Christian book called Cry of the Soul on a biblical theology of emotions written by Dan Allender. And listen to what he says. He says, to be aware of what we feel 
can open us up to questions we would rather ignore. For many of us, that is precisely why it is easier not to feel. But a failure to feel leaves us barren and distant from God and others. We often seem caught between extremes of feeling too much or not enough. We overfeel, we underfeel. And the impact of our emotions on our bodies is clear. Look at Proverbs 17, verse 22. A joyful heart is like good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Isn't that an accurate description? Like when you're around people who bring joy into your life, it's like, it's like medicine. It's like so good for you. Like, you know, when you're down and, and somebody you know and love comes into your life and they just kind of lift you up. It could be their hospitality. It could be their, their humor. It could just be their understanding, their wisdom, their presence. But instantly you feel as if like, oh, it's like taking medicine. Conversely, when your spirit's crushed, you physically feel it. Like, man, my bones just feel dried up. I feel like I don't have energy. I feel like I, I can't go on. Emotions are a gift, but sin disrupts the balance between thinking and feeling. And as a result, we can sometimes allow our emotions to entirely influence the decisions we make without any other influence. However, don't blame your emotions for bad choices. We still have agency. There are still decisions to be made. So we learn very quickly that emotions are a gift. They should not be ignored. But in this fallen world, they should not be obeyed. So friends, the good news is that sin does not have the final word in our lives. Jesus has come to save us, and his work in restoring our lives is to restore harmony in the way that we react ultimately with God and with others, but even in our own hearts, to bring harmony in the way we interact with our emotions. So first, you need to know that emotions are a gift. They should not be ignored. We don't just like shove them down in a little box or bury them or pretend that they are not there. But because this is a fallen world, our emotions should not be obeyed. And that leads to the second point. Emotions are a gift. But secondly, emotions require guidance. Our emotions require guidance. And the God who gave us emotions also gave us guidance for them. Look at these two examples in Proverbs 14 and 16. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So if God gave us emotions as a gift, and yet they're also affected by sin and the fall, what do I do? Well, notice the restraint in these particular verses. There is a choice to be made. It is possible to receive and to use guidance when it comes to our emotions. And I love the way in which it describes it there. Quick-tempered is contrasted with patience. It is possible to become patient 
Or I love the language in Proverbs 16, verse 32, when it talks about those who are slow to anger are better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a great city. That contrast is spectacular. He's saying in some ways it's almost more marvelous when you see someone who rules over and can guide their emotions than it is someone who gathers a military together and takes over a city. In fact, some of you might say, oh, I guarantee you it's easier to rule a city than it is over my emotions, and I would understand. So restraint is possible. Decision-making is possible. Guidance when it comes to our emotions is possible. So what does that look like? I want to give you a very simple framework, a daily pattern for what you and I can do with our emotions. And it's very simple, threefold. When it comes to an emotion, you feel it, you name it, and you bring it to the truth. Simple. Feel it, name it, and bring it to the truth. Each one of these is important. So think about it, and we'll use examples from Proverbs as a test case. So you feel it. That seems obvious, right? Oh, no. Many of us, we have all kinds of denial mechanisms. (laughs) Some of you are like, oh, the onset of strong emotions, especially negative ones, you distract yourself. It's called your phone. It's called Netflix. It's called email. Or if you're like me, it's called leaving the room. (laughs) Just ask my wife. (laughs) When I feel like strong emotions, I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) Anyone else? Don't raise your hand. That's embarrassing. (laughs) I'll embarrass myself. (laughs) I'm not emotional about it. We have all kinds of denial mechanisms. We're like, "Uh uh-oh, emotions are there. Going to bury it. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go do chores. I'm going to go wash the dishes. So this first point is important. Remember, emotions are a gauge. They're not to be ignored. They're indicating that something important is going on. So here's what you don't do, just like with your car. When you're driving your car and that little orange light comes on, you don't reach under the dashboard and pull out the light bulb. (laughs) That's how many of us respond to emotions. We're like, uh, it's alerting us. Oh, oh, there's the little orange light. I know what to do. I'm going to pull over and just unplug that little bad boy. Hey, no more light. No problem. <laughs> I solved it. I removed surgically the emotion <laughs> out of the equation. <laughs> Many of us deal with emotions like that. We don't feel it. We're like, uh-oh, alert. Oh, just unplug it. That's not how you are to respond. God created us with emotion. First, you feel it. But secondly, you name it. This is where clarity comes in. What exactly am I experiencing right now? I have some good friends in my life who when I'm like upset, they're asking me like, hey Tim, what's the emotion you're feeling right now? And I'm like, anger, you know, whatever it might be. I'm like, okay, that, that gives me clarity. Because the Bible, as we'll see in these examples in Proverbs, is not vague when it comes to emotion. It names and even describes the whole range of emotions. And that name it is important, especially for the next step. You bring it to the truth. Feel it, name it, bring it to the truth. Our changing emotions need timeless truth. And because our feelings are a gauge, not a guide, our feelings are not to be taken as a command but an invitation, an invitation to look 
under the hood at what's going on and bring it to the truth. Bring it to the Word of God. And here's why. Underneath every one of your emotions is something you're believing. Underneath every emotional reaction is something you believe. Let me give you an example. Let's say right now you're experiencing a lot of frustration and despair. Let's say that that is a predominant emotion for you right now, just frustration and despair. Ask yourself, what exactly is the story I'm telling myself that's fueling this frustration? What am I believing that's fueling this despair? Maybe it's stories like God doesn't care. Maybe it's stories like, well, my circumstances will never change. Maybe it's, well, I'm a failure and I can never get fixed. I don't deserve this. Or if you're like me, it's only going to get worse. <laughs> that, is, that is a very common belief underneath my emotion. When I feel despair, I'll be honest with you, if I take some time to reflect on it, it's usually this thing that I'm believing, it's only going to get worse. I have a friend who calls that, I don't even know if this is a professional term, but I like it. It's called future tripping. <laughs> have you heard of this? Future tripping. If you're like me, you go, this is bad. And you know what? That leads to this. That's going to get worse. That's going to go bad. This is going to be bad. And we're all doomed. <laughs> and I just go down. I, like, I go on this like future tripping thing. And I just sit there. I'm sure you could see it on my face. My wife's like, honey, are you there? I'm like, oh, what? Sorry. I was just looking at how every possible way in which this could go wrong. <laughs> Underneath my emotion of this like frustration or despair, if I sit and reflect, I'm believing this story, well, it's all going to get worse. And so, friends, it's important for me and for you to take that belief and bring it to the truth. And if there's any lies like the ones I've just described, we bring them to the truth. What's the truth? When I think God doesn't care for me, what's the truth? God does care for me. When I believe and what's fueling my frustration and despair is that my circumstances will never change. What's the truth? God will work all things together for good according to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Oh, I can never be fixed. What's the truth? You're made new in Christ. And you're being renewed day by day. That's the truth. Oh, things are only going to get worse. Oh, Tim, in the gospel, according to Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. And to flesh this out, the book of Proverbs gives us several case studies of emotions. We read a lot of them. I wanted you to get a picture in the scripture reading how many emotions are addressed. I want to choose three for just a few minutes and do a, a, a little case study. Anger, jealousy, and fear. So let's look at how this works. Of so the feel it, name it, bring it to the truth. Start with anger. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 9 verse 11, fools give vent to their rage but the wise bring calm in the end. So it describes anger. So first of all, I feel it. Why? Because not all anger is wrong. There is a right kind of anger, what the Bible calls righteous anger that is rooted in justice and in love. In fact, if someone we knew was not angered at injustice in the world, we might actually assume they don't care. If you say like, oh, a life was unjustly taken, and you're like, yeah, anyway. Like what, you're not angry? There's a right kind of anger. But having said that, much of our anger is not good. 
Our anger needs to be restrained by the truth. Notice that Proverbs, it says, only fools give vent to their rage. And so much of the counsel that you will get in the world today will just give you license to rage. You know what? If you're angry, just go for it. Say whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Just vent it all out with no restraint. Some might even tell you that's healthy. The book of Proverbs says that's foolish. It will not end well. But nor does the Bible pretend that you shouldn't feel anger. It's incredibly balanced. So I feel it. Then I name it. This is anger. But then I have to bring it to the truth because not all reasons for being angry is good and not all even good anger is expressed in the right way. Our anger must be restrained by the truth. For example, in the Bible, there is a righteous anger, but retaliation and revenge is forbidden. So knowing that keeps me from acting in a wrong way. And we need to examine our anger to make sure that what we're angry about is actually bad and not just something that like wounded our ego. Maybe someone has wronged you, they've betrayed you, and you feel angry. In one sense, yes, that, that, that is grounds worth something being angry about, but be careful. Because oftentimes that, that anger can go into revenge mode. Well, they need to pay. I will make them pay. I will be judge, jury, and executioner. So how do we bring that to the truth? We remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does the gospel tell us? Jesus paid. Jesus paid my debt for sin. Jesus paid your debt for sin. And so that person will be dealt with. Either they will bear God's judgment or one day they will come and put their faith in Jesus Christ who bore their judgment on their behalf so that they might repent, believe, and be changed from the inside out. Either way, we allow our anger, or we bring our anger to the truth and allow that experience to remind us that we are not the judge. God, I feel angry. I'm calling it what it is, but I recognize a lot of this is unrighteous, so I'm remembering right now that you're the judge. Feel it, name it, bring it to the truth. But what about jealousy? Jealousy is complicated. Even Proverbs says so. Look at Proverbs 27 verse 4. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand against jealousy? Jealousy is complicated. Remember, it's important to address this because emotions don't die. They just get buried alive. And they will come back to haunt you. Just suppressing the emotion of like jealousy, for example, is not the same as dealing with it. So you feel it. Okay, what is this feeling? And then you name it, like jealousy. What is jealousy? You bring it to the truth. According to the Bible, jealousy is a strong desire to protect what a rival might take. Let me repeat that. Jealousy, according to Scripture, is a strong desire to protect what a rival might take. So it's, a mo it's an emotion about protection and security. So it's important to feel it, name it, but to bring it to the truth. Because when you do that, you realize, okay, if I'm jealous, it means I'm trying to protect something. What exactly am I trying to protect? So what does the Bible say about jealousy? Well, like anger, there are good kinds of jealousy and there are bad kinds of jealousy. So you've got to bring it to the truth. And the question is, when you come to the truth of God's word, the distinction is this, am I jealous for something that does belong to me, or am I jealous of something that does not belong to me? 
That's the question. And that's the difference between good jealousy and bad jealousy. God tells us that he is a jealous God. That's in the Bible. Does that sound confusing? Oprah thought it was confusing. Oprah, when she describes her upbringing in the church, in whatever part of uh, the U.S. it was, she tells this one story where growing up in church, she heard from the pulpit the Bible verse, God is a jealous God. And she said, God is jealous of me? Well, that's not a God I want to worship. She tells that as part of her kind of story and how she understands God. But that day, she misunderstood, or at least the preacher didn't explain, the difference between good jealousy and bad jealousy. The good kind of jealousy is a strong desire to protect something that does belong to you. Bad jealousy is trying to get something that does not belong to you. So when God is a jealous God, he is jealous for something that does belong to him. His creation, his people. Listen, let's be clear. God is not jealous of you as much as that might hurt your ego this morning. God does not look down from heaven and be like, oh my gosh, so jelly. Like, oh, your outfit's so good. I just wish I could have that, but you know. I'm a jealous God, what am I gonna do? It's a struggle. Like, that's not what it says. When it says God is a jealous God, when he says it, it's a strong desire to protect what actually does belong to him. That's why it's important to take emotions to the truth. There's an excellent book written by a man named Jerry Bridges called Respectable Sins. The meaning behind the title is not that any sin is respectable. It's a book about how a lot of Christians, they totally avoid certain sins, but then they totally embrace other sins, and they don't even talk about it. And in there, he talks about jealousy, and he explains the difference between good and bad. He says, there are legitimate occasions for jealousy, such as when someone is trying to win your spouse away from you. God even declares himself to be a jealous God who will not tolerate the worship of anyone or anything other than himself. Sinful jealousy occurs, however, when we are afraid someone is going to become equal to or even superior to us. We tend to envy a peer who is ahead of us in an area we highly value. We become jealous of a person who is overtaking us. And both of these foster a competitive spirit that says, I must always win or be number one. All of these attitudes are the result of ungodly selfishness and thinking only of ourselves. In that definition, God's jealousy is right. It is his love for us. It is for our good and we belong to him. His jealous love has no sin attached to it. Let's be clear, God is not scared that you might find a better God. He's like, oh, what's that other God you're worshiping? It's kind of making me feel a little insecure. I need some praise on Sunday. If you could just turn it up to 11 when you sing this Sunday, that'd be great. Make me feel a lot better. God is not scared that you might find a better God. He's only heartbroken that we've settled for false ones. However, the strong emotion, when we experience it, those who are broken... It can be a flashing light calling our attention to say, hey, all might not be well. And ask the question, am I jealous of something that is not mine? That God has not given to me? If that's the case, then this strong emotion should lead us to repentance of idols. A repentance in our dissatisfaction of God and receive the limits that he's put on our lives and rejoice over what he's given to others. 
and not push it back against it. The gospel, when applied to this emotion, says, look, you're afraid that something else might be taken away from you, but listen, your greatest security is in Jesus Christ. Will you ever be abandoned? The answer is no. If God be for us, who can be against us? Anger. Feel it. Name it. Bring it to the truth. Jealousy. Feel it. Name it. Bring it to the truth. And lastly, fear. Proverbs has a lot to say on fear. Chapter 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The contrast there is dramatic. The wicked flees when no one is pursuing. They're just like living in fear. Even when something's not actually happening, they're responding out of fear. But the righteous are so secure that they have the boldness like a lion. Like other emotions, fear is not necessarily a bad thing. The emotion of fear, for example, keeps you from riding your bike into oncoming traffic. In that moment, if you're doing that and you experience fear, don't say, oh, I'm going to bury that emotion right now. It's the check engine light saying, hey, there's a car coming. I'm going to inform you so that now in interaction with your will, you can make a good decision. (laughs) Name it. You feel it. You name it. Describe the experience. I'm feeling fear, but then you bring it to the truth. And when we do, we'll quickly realize that The problem for many of us so often when it comes to fear is that we fear all the wrong things in the wrong way for the wrong reasons. Other people's opinions, for example. Many of us experience a lot of fear related to other people's opinions. Could be friends, family members, or the public. Because we fear their opinions, they have great power over us. We're in awe of them. We need to redirect that fear. We need to redirect that sense of awe. That is to say, we need to settle in our hearts whose opinion matters most. So when I feel, feel the fear of other people's opinion or their fear of rejection, I need to name that fear and I need to bring it to the truth. And the truth is that whose opinion matters most? God's opinion matters most. What do we have through believing in Jesus Christ? Acceptance with God. He looks at you as his beloved child and his opinion is the only opinion that matters. That means you can stop being in fear of and controlled by the rejection of other people because you have all the approval you need in Jesus Christ. And that's why the book of Proverbs then says, if you fear the Lord, you are like the righteous, you are as bold as a lion. Because if you fear God, that is to say, if you're in awe of him and in reverence to him, then you don't have to fear anything else. That's good news. See, emotions need guidance. Feel them, name them, and bring them to the truth. And if we do, we will grow. To quote Cry of the Soul again, Dan Allender says, we can't fix our emotional struggles as if they were broken toys. We can, however, view our emotions from the perspective of whether they lead us to engagement with God or move us away from greater dependence on God. And so when we say to bring our emotions to the truth, ultimately what we're saying is you need to bring your emotions to God. And that's the final point. Emotions are a gift. But because we live in this fallen world, emotions require guidance. And God's word guides us over and over again. But ultimately, emotions have a goal. When we're experiencing emotion, the invitation is to come to God. The word 
for emotion actually comes from the Latin word, which means to move or to be moved. The question is, what am I being moved toward right now when I'm angry or sad or jealous? What am I being moved toward? You should not be moved by your emotions into sin. However, we are meant to be moved by our emotions towards the right goal, and that is God. And that's why Proverbs says in chapter 14, whoever fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and their children, it will be a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a person from the snares of death. Emotions are meant to move you towards God. Whether positive or painful, emotions are the gauge on the dashboard reminding you that you need to look at what's going on inside and then bring that to God because ultimately they are an invitation to trust God. Being controlled by our emotions leads us away from leaning on God. But if we allow our emotions to move us as an invitation to trust in God, it is like being in a secure fortress, Proverbs says, and connected to a fountain of life. And so ignoring our emotions is to ignore that invitation from God to feel it, name it, and bring it to the truth. And if we doubt this, friends, look at Jesus himself. Jesus models emotional wisdom perfectly, and he also empowers us to live it out. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he enters the Garden of Gethsemane just hours before his unjust trial. And he knows that this horrible death, this Roman cross, lies before him. And what he does in that moment serves as a model for us. Notice he feels the full weight of emotion in Matthew 26. Then he said to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Notice what's happening here, friends. Jesus names it. He feels it. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. If you were a stoic, you'd be like, whoa, Jesus is getting a little emotional there. He says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow. He's specific. He doesn't hide it. He even shares it with his friends. For some of you, it's so important to acknowledge this. He doesn't pretend. He doesn't ignore his emotion. He doesn't just suppress it or bury it, what's happening within him. Some of you need to hear that this morning. If you were to follow Jesus, he doesn't just ignore it. But on the other hand, some of us feel like we're slaves to emotion. I mean, I feel like that in time. Like many of us this morning, let's be honest, we feel like an emotional wreck at times. But the good news is you don't have to be a slave to it. On the other hand, he brings the situation and all the emotions that come with it to his loving heavenly father. Prayed to him in surrender. I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Emotional honesty, biblical integrity, or if we could put it simply, tears and truth. 
we feel and experience the tears and we bring it to the truth. Our emotions matter, but there is a greater truth than what I am feeling. Greater than the circumstances that are causing these feelings. And that truth is that Jesus gave himself on that day to be crushed when he went to the cross to pay the price for my sin and for your sin and for the sins of the world, even though he was perfect. And he was put in a tomb, but he rose again on the third day, resurrected to give us new life so that in putting our faith and our trust in him, we can be forgiven. We can be made new. We can be made whole. This is good news, and it will bring health to your bones. And so Proverbs says in chapter 15, verse 30, about good news, the light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Who needs good news this morning? When it comes to my emotions, I need good news. And the good news is that Jesus came and he walked in my shoes, stood in my place and experienced the wrath that my sin deserves so that I can get the acceptance that his life deserves. To experience his forgiveness. And in trusting in him, he does not remove my emotions, he renews my emotions. And so our emotions find their goal as we bring them to God in Christ. Friends, God wants you to experience joy. And he's given you a reason to experience it. He brings you that good news that refreshes your soul. And so this morning, our emotional healing begins with forgiveness for any lies that we've been believing. When we bring it to the truth, are there any lies that we're believing or telling about God, about ourselves, or about others? Forgiveness for making something else more important than God. But this healing continues as we bring our emotions to God's word and to God himself in prayer. So remember, this morning, you can come messy to God. God doesn't tell you, like what parent says to their their kid when they come crying, like, hey, go wipe those tears away and then I'll, I'll deal with your pain. God says, come to me as needy children. Come like a child. God doesn't say, go away and get your emotional life sorted before you come to me. Come as a needy child. Come in your emotional mess and just come to God. Bring it to the truth and invite his Holy Spirit to bring harmony and renewal and strength. Remember, the gospel says that God did not meet us in our strength. God met us in our weakness. And he invites you to come to him this morning. So whatever it is, feel it, name it. And bring it to the truth. Pray it to him this morning. And watch the peace of the gospel bring health to your own heart. And we have an opportunity to do that right now. So let's pray that the spirit would move. God, we thank you for this good news. We do not have to be slaves to what we feel, underfeel or overfeel. But we can allow that experience to be an invitation to come to you. You direct our paths. You give us the truth that sorts through the lies and the half-truths. You give us wisdom. You give us power by your Holy Spirit to respond rightly. You give us the freedom to come to you boldly like messy children. And you don't turn us away. All because of what you've done for us in Jesus. And so I pray that no one 
would stay away from you this morning, but that would bring, yes, even all their mess internally to you and just say, God, I'm a mess. Would you bring peace? God, I'm a mess. Would you just bring healing? God, I don't know which way to go. I feel like this. I feel like that. But Holy Spirit, will you guide me? God, will you use your word to show me the path to take? I pray that we'd experience emotional healing today. As we bring them to you, this moment, we realize, is an invitation. And for anyone who does not yet know you, Lord, in this room or watching online, I pray that right now they would know that this is an invitation for them to be saved. Right now, I pray that they would believe on Jesus, that he died for their sins, that he rose again from the grave to give them forgiveness and everlasting life. I pray that that man or woman right now would say, Jesus, save me, and that they would experience your salvation right now. Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts? We don't have to hide away from you, but we can come to you, to the throne of grace in our time of need. Spirit, come.